0: everybody, Rachel Varga here, the beauty side of Beauty and the Biohacker, and I warmly invite you to check out working with Katie and I. You can go to beautyandthebiohacker.com where you can find our book one-on-one links with either Katie and I. Katie can help you with optimizing your sleep through biohacking modalities, and I can help you with optimizing your at-home and in-clinic skin and rejuvenation journey with skincare, biohacking, dermal rolling, and all of that cool stuff stuff. Be sure to also check out our favorites page where you can find our shortlist of our top biohacking and supplement picks to help you slow your aging on a cellular level. And be sure to use those affiliate links to continue to support the show here and use the promo codes to save yourself some money. Enjoy today's episode.
1: What's up, friends, and welcome to another fantastic episode of Beauty and the Biohacker, where we explore the latest tools and trends in self-care, aesthetics, peak performance, you name it. I am your co-host, Katie Moore. I am the biohacker side of Beauty and the Biohacker. I have done all sorts of crazy self-experiments on myself. Uh, through the, the past three and a half years on my YouTube channel, Katie Type A, and I'm here to help you achieve success without sacrificing your health or happiness. And of course, we have the very beautiful Rachel Varga.
0: What's up, everybody? If you're new here, I'm Rachel Varga, board-certified aesthetic nurse specialist, 20,000 rejuvenation procedures later, not on myself, but on others, and spending the last 10 years helping others feel, you know, really feel their best. What does that look like? Skincare, lasers, injectables. And really what we do here is take the best of both worlds from the beauty and rejuvenation side of things and biohacking. We smash all the science together to help us figure out how we can look and feel our best, And you can learn all things about Katie and I at beautyandthebiohacker.com, where actually we have one-on-one sessions currently available. We don't know how long we we'll would be able to do that for, but check out some more info on Katie and I and how you potentially work with us at beautyandthebiohacker.com. And before we get started, make sure that you hit the subscribe button here on the podcast and YouTube channel. And also... Hit the bell so that you know when new episodes come out. And don't forget to get on the Beauty and the Biohacker newsletter. You'll see this little pop-up when you go on the website. And that's going to give you access to some of our behind-the-scenes stuff and also some special promo codes for all of the wonderful things that we talk about here. Some of those codes and discounts and savings actually also help to support here us on the channel as well. And Today, we have a very special guest
1: joining us all the way from Melbourne, Australia. Her name is Holly Sinclair, and I really think the only way to sum up Holly in two words is badass. (laughs) This girl is, is a personal trainer, health coach, founder of the Woman Series. I don't even know how you got that URL, but it's fantastic. And she is just a kick-ass entrepreneur. She works so hard with women to help them with their fertility and just empowering women to live their healthiest lives and to really cut out all the BS, as she says. Um, So we're going to get into all of those things, including hormonal health today. Welcome, Holly. I'm so excited you're here.
2: Oh, thank you so much for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. And let's kick
1: things off with kind of your forte, and that is women's health. And I would love just kind of from your perspective, you've been in this industry for so many years now. What is really missing in the conversation today regarding women's health?
2: <laughs> how, how long do we have? As long as you need. (laughs) (laughs) Because there's a lot missing. Um, I think for me, when I was like starting my business two years ago, uh, a hole in the market was really that, I guess you call it badass, um, but really that resilient, tenacious, strong, assertive female. And it actually all came about because I was working for a company in the wellness community and all of my staff members, except for maybe two, were women. And we were having just a dialogue um, one day at lunchtime, as you do. And some of the staff members were asking me, "Oh, who is your favorite um, leader in the wellness space?" And we started, you know, naming off people like Paul Check and Charles Poliquin, and then there was Aubrey Marcus, and you know, all of these really amazing um, spirit teachers, as I would call them, or health teachers. But it dawned on me pretty quickly that there's no women. There was not one woman (laughs) that was coming to mind, even from my perspective. And that was really, really disappointing to me because um, there's a lot of amazing women in the space of, I would say, functional medicine. So people like Kelly Brogan and Kerry Jones and Lara Bryden, but they, they sit in that space of functional medicine and they don't necessarily integrate You know, a lot of what sort of Charles Poliquin and Paul Check have done, which is the movement side of things, you know, different modalities coming in. Um, So that was really what's, you know, started me on the trajectory of trying to fill that space. And my whole intention of this business was to be that woman. I always wanted to get to that position where it was I was up next to those names when people were sort of listing off who was who was inspiring them the most. So I would say like that, I don't know what that is necessarily labeled as, but I would say that is a big issue in women's health. Um, And it's definitely lacking is having that figure that represents a strong body, but also represents a strong mind. And it represents, you know, a healthy womanly reproductive system and a good body of knowledge and all of that sort of stuff. And hopefully (laughs) I'm plugging that gap and there's more women to come through and and help me on that journey.
0: Yeah, I think that's great that you shared that. And some of the things that I've noticed in the rejuvenation, the beauty side of anti-aging and all that, is that there's actually quite a bit of a lack on women's hormonal health and hormone balancing and support when women go through menopause. Like, obviously, we're Mm. kind of nowhere near menopause. But what we can do in our 20s, 30s, and 40s to really set the stage for becoming more resilient individuals through body, mind, Mm. spirit, energy practices and cultivation will help us navigate menopause. But also for the gents listening – Anytime that there's some type of stressor, if we have the practices on hand, cold water therapy, understanding our HRV, when we need to push, when we need to kind of dial it back a little bit. So it's almost like this dichotomy of women wanting to show up to be there for, you know, people around them, their businesses, and you kind of have to tap into almost that masculine energy and then go back into the feminine energy when we kind of need to like rest and recharge. And I feel like that's kind of actually what's missing in the conversation is the menopausal Mm -hmm. um, understanding and also knowing when to push and when to dial it back.
2: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think all like uh, for me personally, I'm, I'm very masculine and it's something I've had to work on a lot. Katie's putting her hand up. I've had to work on sort of drawing on that more feminine energy, but without... I guess, I mean, I'm not fully versed in this information that I'm talking about. Maybe, Rach, you could probably uh, get, give a bit more context to it, but I, I feel like I have to sit in the shadow a little bit of my masculine sometimes to help that balance, yeah? Um, otherwise it just gets full throttle. And that that is a problem for women in general, though, because any level of assertiveness or... Um, you know, being up there with the lads or the men, it instantly comes across as a bitchiness or it instantly comes across as inappropriate um, if it's not balanced, if it's not like done properly. And so I I feel like maybe that's sometimes why some women don't seek out those sort of positions. I'm not sure. Uh, But it's definitely something I've been focusing on for some time in myself.
0: I'm always thrilled when someone brings up shadow work. So for me, the (laughs) way I actually get out, you know, some of my shadow stuff and entertain it is by getting into like the dude stuff, you know, the generally male dominated activities, like playing electric guitar, like going off-roading, like taking apart Mm. motors, you know, and that stuff kind of made me almost cooler growing up, but also like a little bit kind of like just different but I rolled with it. But I think it's important for us to just, like, find stuff that makes you have fun and feel good about yourself and not really care what type of, you know, gender roles are attached to it. I think we kind of need to, like, unprogram that in a way.
2: Yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. I really, I, I mean, I use it as a strength now. And obviously it's coming through in my branding because Katie was just like, whoa, I know exactly who you are. <laughs> um but yeah and i and i
1: totally agree like i've i've kind of faced a similar situation in the biohacking space where Mm -hmm. it has been predominantly male centric you know you think about like the best biohackers in the world and it's like dave asprey and you know mostly men kind of come to mind in that space and so having to you know really cultivate a platform that is a like authentic to myself that's the most important thing you know and i think all three of us in our own unique individual ways and brands bring that level of of authenticity to the forefront and like if that does like include divine feminine or masculine energy like who cares if that's true to who you are that's going to come through and people if they are interested in that or feel some type of it you know if it resonates with them they'll be attracted to that you know and so i never like i never looked at the biohacking space as a place i couldn't enter because i was a woman i looked at it as like what can i offer that might be a little bit different that will help more women in this space because i think you know, at the end of the day, women are facing a lot of very different issues from men and knowing how to, you know, we've even talked offline, Holly, like how to like really track your menstrual cycle and Mm. little cues to look at, you know, with these hormonal issues that maybe men don't face on the same level. I think those are where we really can bring our talents and our, our strengths to the forefront. And from Mm. there, I kind of want to talk about a little bit, um, of the mental barriers that women face on their health journeys. Because as we know, there's a lot of societal pressures to look a certain way, act a certain way, all of the stuff that we've been talking about. So what do you do, Holly, to really empower these women to get past some of these mental hurdles?
2: Well, I I, I always tend to do this. I turn it into a feminist conversation when I don't mean to. Um, But I think the first place to start answering that question is like the the hurdles are there because of the male centric medical model that's set up. And so from the absolute outgo, like I'll give you some statistics. I don't uh, this is Australian based, but I'm sure it's similar in the States. Like only three percent of all um, exercise science research is done on women. but 80% 80% of all gym consumers are women. So we've got the scientific community, which is male-centric and patriarchal as well, only using a very small percentage to assess you know, how women function from a, an exercise physiological perspective. And yet that they then are expected to adapt all of that information to women. So that's the first hurdle, is that we're actually just not represented. In the landscape of science or technology or, um, you know, and then beyond that, it's the interactions that we have with our practitioners, unfortunately, uh, and I don't know what both of your personal stories are, but for me, like I had very poor interactions with the the healthcare system. And nine times out of 10, I was dealing with a male doctor. And whether that's got to do with the fact that they just purely can't understand because they're not a woman, um, or, you know, it's just the way that the system's designed, I think they're our biggest, biggest hurdles. There's a great book um, called Sex Matters, and I can't recall the doctor's name who wrote it. Um, Dr. Alison something, I'll find her name and I'll give it to you guys for the show notes. But She talks a lot about how, you know, a lot of um, female health issues go misdiagnosed or, you know, they're they're pushed to the side, especially a lot of the time we get um, medicated incorrectly because we'll present to a doctor's office saying, I just don't feel well, and you know, because we're very feelings-based human beings as opposed to men. I don't feel well, something's off, and they'll prescribe an antidepressant, where in that case that wasn't what was happening. It was our hormones were out, you know, and then that starts the whole whole um tumbleweeds of okay well now I'm on an antidepressant and now I don't feel good and now the antidepressants giving me constipation. Oh well I'll just take a laxative for the constipation. It's just like and then you wonder why, you know, as you mentioned earlier with menopause, we end up going into this like you know second or third phase of our life just feeling like absolute crap. Um, because most of the time we've experienced all of these interventions that we shouldn't have experienced. Um, And they've played a really negative role in sort of how our body's functioning. So unfortunately, and as maybe as negative as it might come across, I do think the system is our biggest hurdle uh, for women's health. And then second to that, I think we are our biggest hurdles, you know, like we are intuitive beings. So if things don't feel right. Uh, we have to act on that. And, you know, you have to, you know, when people are saying, oh, I just feel like crap all the time or I'm exhausted or, you know, listen to your body, you need to lean into that and start making some real proper solutions for yourself, whether that be nutritional, physiological, biochemical, spiritual, whatever it might be, but you have to start actioning some solutions.
0: Mm-hmm. And I'd love to just add on to the whole menopausal piece. And, guys, I don't want you to tune out because women are reaching out for more information on menopausal support. So the younger we can start to kind of like understand how biohacking can support ourselves, before having you know the red flags of having some issues pop up and then going to see the doc for some labs and things like that and just to fyi this isn't medical advice this is educational information only if you think you have a medical condition you must seek the guidance of a licensed physician but we're in the age of information now we can order really sophisticated tests we can get you know mm-hmm. viom test kit use bnb 10, I believe for 10% off your order at biome, but that's a really great way to just like get a snapshot of what's going on in your food. But one of the things I want to mention in the whole, you know, cosmetic dermatology world is that I still see this has, this bugs me so much. I see so many derms talking about CRA. P skincare that's full of parabens, allyl sulfates, artificial dyes, fragrances, tested on animals. You know, nine to fourteen allergens, as per clinical paper that I found on PubMed in 2020 from some of these big drugstore brands with ingredients that are banned in the UK. And I actually called out a local dermatologist. I said, "Why are you Why are you recommending these over the counter brands, which are known hormone disruptors, especially Mm. parabens and chemical UV filters?" And the answer I basically got was they're well tolerated and like okay but then i find the study from 2020 that says they're actually allergens and i just feel like our our system is really kind of indoctrinated and it the 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 western medical system hasn't really caught up to the advancements that uh, the biohackers are really, you know, we have our pulse on right now, what, what they're doing in space with NASA, there's been huge evolutions. So I feel like you don't know information to help you until mm. you know, which is kind of the downside. And you have to do that investigation on yourself, because actually your healthcare professional, they might not know about it, they it might not be within their scope to share, to share it either, which is really unfortunate.
2: Mm, mm. Well, you just touched on how, so like something so micro in terms of like your skincare products, how much of a residual impact they can have on, you know, your endocrine system and disrupting your endocrine system. And then you sort of put that into context of all the things that we expose ourselves to from leaving mum's belly to at whatever age we currently are. It's no wonder we're dealing with this plethora of chronic health problems Um, so, you know, from nutritional toxicity to product toxicity, to stress toxicity, to environmental toxicity, like the load of damage that's coming into our system at any given time is out of control. And then, you know, you put on top of that, your own thought toxicity, right? So like the negative thoughts that we tell ourselves and the whole Bruce Lipton approach to healing. And so it's just insane. And, um, it's not, it's not the fault of the system because everyone is in their own silos. And so they specialize within the realm of what they know. But the problem with that is that the the human body doesn't work as a monotherapy. You know, you can't, it, it's multifaceted. You can't have like just one approach for one organ. And then you go to another person for another organ. Like, as you both know, like, that's just not how our system works. And so I think that's a big limitation for not just women, but men as well, is just that limited um, recognition of you've got to really approach every aspect of your health from a holistic standpoint. Mm -hmm.
1: And it is all about kind of getting to the state of homeostasis, this balance in the body. Everything is working. It's kind of flowing like the ocean. Um, And I'm curious, Holly, if you could maybe just paint us a picture for people who know or maybe don't know, like what does hormonal imbalance actually look like? What have you observed? And is it genetic or is it epigenetic? Is it because of our environment? Let's unpack Um, that a little bit.
2: Most people don't like my answer to this. (laughs) So this might be a bit controversial. Bring it on (laughs) sister, I'm ready. your hormones are just adapting to their environment so you actually don't necessarily have hormonal issues they are just a byproduct of the environment that they are having to adapt to so I mean in the case I work a lot in the space of natural fertility and and a lot of the time women will start working with me and they'll say I've got my sex hormone blood chemistry done. I'll send it over to you. And they might have low progesterone. They might have really high prolactin or whatever the complication might be. Now, is that causative? No. No. That, that, that is just your hormones reacting to whatever mechanism is creating the problem. So whether it's systemic inflammation, maybe your free radicals to antioxidant levels are poor, maybe you've got excessive stress, you know, um, are you getting exposed to infections like mould or, you know, Lyme disease or something to that effect? Are you having too many chemicals in your food? Because your hormones are just doing what they're meant to do based off their environment. Or are Sorry. you
0: completely ungrounded and yes. you, know, you have access buildup of proton ions in your body because right. you haven't touched your feet on the ground in a week.
2: Yeah, right. Like there's all of that. So I personally don't think um, I don't definitely don't think hormonal issues are a genetic problem, especially when we look at the process of um, you know, epigenetics and how. How much your environment alters your your cells i think from the last thing that i was reading it's about two percent of all chronic diseases are actually associated with genome dysfunction so um, that's a very small amount when you think about you know how many people have chronic diseases Um, so yeah i don't think it's a genetic issue i just think hormonal imbalance is a byproduct a lot of the time of the environment of the body
1: That makes a lot of sense and i um i i really appreciate that perspective because i think this is kind of like one of the trappings of society is we want to bucket everything we want to put everything you know into kind of this like very specific bucket where we say like you have this because of this reason you know like everyone wants to make these associations and i think that's one of the really difficult things with addressing hormonal issues is it could show up in a number of different ways in your body. I'm sure mm. you've seen people with skin issues or gut issues and you know hair loss issues and just, just like there's such a wide range. And that's probably one of the tricky things with even diagnosing a hormonal problem, right? Mm. I, I imagine, mm. you know?
2: Yeah, there's so much that goes into it. Um, and, I, you know, and and the other side of that as well is it's something that just gets sort of thrown at women when they can't start a family or, you know, when they've got acne on their face. Oh, it's hormonal. Oh, it's hormonal. Mm-hmm. It's like... Mm-hmm. Well, what am I meant to do with that information? And so many women that I that I work with are just so fearful because they've come out of an appointment and they're being told you don't have any progesterone. It's going to be really hard to get pregnant. You know, your your ovulatory cycle is poor. But it's like, okay, but why is that happening? And let's just find the root cause of why it's happening and you'll be okay. You know, yeah. it's not it's not I think the the whole just even the dialogue that comes along with, oh, it's just a hormonal issue. It's just so dismissive of us being a a fully functioning human being. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah.
0: Yeah. So some of the things that I'll hear my clients complain about when, you know, they're kind of like feeling something's off. They feel like their health's kind of wavering a little bit. They'll start to lose their hair. They start Mm. to lose a lot of collagen in their skin. It's like collagen drop off overnight and that can manifest as really thin you know crepey skin guys kind of tend to just like cruise through uh their their collagen loss of about like one to three percent a year and women we lose uh, like 30 percent pretty much like overnight when we start menopause and from ages 50 to 60 there's a 2017 2018 study that i've shared on my uh, social media infographic that women's faces change shape three times faster than men's. So we got hair loss. We got collagen loss through estrogen uh, drop off. And then we have actually um, sometimes even uh, hyperpigmentation concerns. And yeah, the acne. I love it when I hear this. Oh, you know, it's hormonal acne to my jawline. I was like, well, what are you putting on your skin, right? Are you putting products on your skin that are messing with your hormones? And for the guys listening, you need to clean up your self-care product act. Otherwise, you're going to end up with ED and a receding hairline. So Mm. toss the Axe body spray. Use your facial cleanser to shave your face. Don't use those toxic deodorants and and all that stuff. Really clean things up for the guys and the ladies.
2: Mm. Mm. Yeah, the hormone conversation is just so funny. And I would just add to what you were speaking about with collagen. You know, a lot of the time, um, and this is actually in context, to, I believe, Um, But this is a medical advice, but I believe like a lot of the chronic health issues that women face and they step into in their 40s and their 50s, um, such as things like breast cancer and ovarian cancers and sagging skin and hair loss and stuff like that's because we've been told to diet our whole life. So if you are restricting calories and restricting nutrients your whole life, (laughs) then that is going to create a problem. And just because you're, I don't think it's that your age is associated with a disease state. It's just that you've had more time to do more and more damage to your body. It's the same thing with, you know, our biological clock. They love, the system loves to tell us that after 35, it's like our ovulatory process drops off a cliff. But that's not true. Like, your ovulatory process is a reflection of the health of your ovarian reserve. And what has what is that a byproduct of? That's a byproduct of how much inflammation is in your ovaries, you know, how many nutrients you provide your ovaries, how many calories you provide your ovaries. Like, so, you know, so much of it is, is, a, is a byproduct of what society has told us to look like and be like over the course of our life.
0: Yeah. And, you know, something as simple as what's your sleep doing? Has your sleep just all of a sudden gone wonky on you, right? Katie, you're like the rock star uh, bringing your professional journalism background into (laughs) biohacking reviews on your YouTube. You crush this space and we need to monitor and really notice those metrics. And when there is some wavering, it's like, okay, how could we get back to what our baseline was when we were feeling really good. So yeah, the mm. sleep is a thing and uh, night sweats. So just really pay attention to that stuff. Also super low energy. Those can all mm. be signs that something's kind of off. So just do those things that really fuel your body, mind, spirit, energy, and you have to learn, you have to take the ownership on yourself, listening, what those things are for you, because it's going to look completely different for everybody. Mm. Yeah. For
1: sure. And one other thing that you mentioned, and I kind of want to sort of dive down this rabbit hole now, I feel like this is a great opportunity, but like this whole idea of dieting. And obviously, you know, that can sometimes like intense stress, intense dieting and exercise can lead to uh, amenorrhea, which is the loss of a period for women. So I really kind of want to get into this with you, Holly, and talk about some of the ramifications of that. Like what, what happens to a woman if she loses her period for an extended period of time? Even if she doesn't want to have children, what what is that doing to your body? Maybe you can just kind of walk us through the the you know kind of the the overall ramifications of what happens there.
2: Mm. So I actually had hypothalamic amenorrhea for about three years um, in my early twenties, and I was a vegan at the time, and I was also running a lot. Um, so you know most, for the most part, hypothalamic amenorrhea is a byproduct of just excessive stress. And that stress can come from under eating, not getting enough nutrients, you know, over exercising, not sleeping properly, like you just spoke about. Um, So stress doesn't just have to be psychological. And I think this is where it gets murky waters for a lot of women, because we instantly associate stress with our emotions. Um, But that's actually not truthful. And a lot of the time, We've been talking about toxic load, right? So stress just comes from all facets of our life. Um, so amenorrhea is really driven by by your stress production, and they call it the fifth vital sign: your period. It's so important for your overall health. It is a direct reflection of how healthy you are. So if you are not getting it, if you are not ovulating, I mean, ovulation itself. Um, just a quick, a quick. Uh, anatomy lesson you have to ovulate in order to have a period right so we can't talk about loss of period without loss of ovulation now ovulation provides us with so many therapeutic hormones progesterone estrogens testosterone Um, ovulation yeah, <laughs> me too. I but love. I feel ovulation. like
0: I crush crush everything.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the, it's the point in our cycle where our testosterone peaks. That's the only point. That's why we feel so good, right? Um, so you know, if you're not actually ovulating, then you're not going to be reaping the the rewards of all of those incredibly therapeutic uh, hormones. Especially, we've been talking about menopause, progesterone moving into menopause, like. You know, you have to be producing a decent amount of this. This is why a lot of women end up using um, creamed progesterones and and stuff like that as they transition into menopause because it's just so helpful in terms of how you're feeling. Um, So, yeah, I mean, your cycle is is incredibly important. It's a reflection of your overall health. And if you're not getting it, it's not... I, I get frustrated because we're told that fertility should only equal babies. But no... Your fertility is actually just how healthy your body is. You know, so it's not even, it's regardless of if you want to have children, you should still be having a healthy menstrual cycle um, right up until that, that transition phase of menopause and then that transition phase shouldn't be painful. You shouldn't be getting hot flushes. I know that's a bit controversial, but you shouldn't be. You shouldn't be like, you know, having all that sagging skin. Unfortunately... Uh, You know, we probably don't have time to get into it today, but um, the biggest uh, influence of a bad transition into menopause is how how cooked your adrenals are leading into that process. So if your Mm. adrenals are absolutely shot because you've spent the last 30 years dieting, you know, trying to keep up with the blokes in the corporate setting, but also having children and all, you know, all the things that life throws at us, then, yeah, that whole process is not going to be very pleasant. So it's actually, it comes it always comes back to stress, always comes back to stress.
0: And there's something that I think that a lot of us aren't really in our society thinking about. We're kind of very narcissistic, especially at the moment we're in our own little bubbles. And we don't necessarily realize that the health choices that we make today impacts future generations, right? Mm-hmm. So say you are partying in your teens, your 20s, your 30s, and then you want to have kids and you know, you've know drank alcohol. Like, yes, I know I am having a Guinness at the moment, but I've <laughs> tracked with my sleep, my Oura Ring, my sleep is actually still pretty good with even just one Guinness, but two glasses of wine just tanks it. But we, d- we tend to forget that the choices that we make in our youth impacts future generations to come and progeny, especially with specific Mm. medications we might take. So if we're able to avoid the pharmaceutical route, we will be able to, you know, hopefully not tank our adrenals or we've had other conversations where sometimes by taking nootropics and things like that, it can kind of uh, deplete other, other essential, um, you know, peptides that we, that we might need. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing that um,
1: I kind of want to touch on with you, if if we have time, Holly, is capitalizing or basically like making the most out of your menstrual cycle in how you work, live, play, all of that. Like for me, especially, I I sometimes struggle with fatigue, and and to be completely transparent, like it's taken me a while to regular, and I before COVID, I was so stressed out in my corporate job. I didn't get my period for three years. Like it would Mm -hmm. come in and then go out and come in and like, it was never consistent. And then finally in the, in this return to work and now like being here in one of the most like peaceful places in the world and in Hawaii, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling like things are starting to, to stabilize, which is wonderful. But That being said, I want to still know how I can get the most gains throughout my period, Mm -hmm. when to slow down, when to speed up. So what would you say on a training level, like taking a kind of like a zoom in on an exercise? How should we be exercising to optimize our peak performance when we are, you know, in our different stages of the cycle?
2: Mm. Um, So. Exercise is something that I would only sort of adopt this if you had a a really healthy natural cycle. It's not something I would use, you know, definitely if not, if you're on contraception and or if there's sort of delayed ovulation taking place. But if you do have a nice, healthy, natural cycle, uh, the first fortnight, let's use a 28 day cycle. The first fortnight is broken into two sections so you've got your bleed which can last from anywhere from day one to three or day one to five let's say um and then you've got that sort of second week now the bleed is is a uh, if we're talking about archetypes and sort of going down the carl jung phase that's like you want to reside you want to love sort of like-
0: <laughs> Jungian in theory thank you so much <laughs> if you don't know who carl Jung is he was like uh he was freud's protege and I
2: love his. Yeah, concept. he's amazing. He's amazing. Um, so you know, if we're talking about female archetypes, we want to sort of like nourish and go inwards. And so while someone's bleeding, I definitely suggest that they, if they want to move, if they're feeling good, just do things like yoga, get out, go for a hike, um, ground. You know, be in nature, meditate, and I think that's really restorative. Would be really helpful. And then as soon as your bleed stops, depending if it's day three or five, then you can transition into that uh, what's known in the medical community as the follicular phase. Um, and this is basically where our estradiol is rising. You know, we're feeling pretty good. It's an anabolic hormone. Um, it's carrying, you know, all different types of neurotransmitters to the brain. So we're, we're feeling pretty good moving into ovulation. Um, and then so you want to sort of team that with strength. Uh, so that could be sort of one RM through to 5 RM on your on your barbell lifts or maybe it's those short sharp hit sessions. Um, but anything where there's a lot of power and a lot of force to exert is really well coupled at that point. And you do well consuming more calories. Um, In that sort of uh, follicular phase of the cycle Uh, from an archetype perspective, this is when the sort of wild woman is starting to come out um, and she's like getting fierce and she leads into ovulation. So she's just like fully charged, right, like unstoppable. And if you really want to go nitty gritty on the training around your cycle, you would be testing your one RMS around ovulation because you're getting that peak of testosterone you're getting that peak of estrogens and you're starting to get that peak of progesterone as well Um, and this is obviously the time that you want to conceive you want to have a baby if you're trying to have a baby and then after you ovulate you move into the third phase so the second fortnight the third phase and this is where the maiden comes in and she's really flirty and fun and she's just kicking about and she's laughing at everything and You know, that's because your progesterone is really high and your estrogen started to taper off. Um, And you want to transition into more sort of not as intense strength-based exercises because you don't have that anabolic power there and you probably don't have that caloric power there, Um, but you want to move into maybe more gymnastics or hypertrophy or, um, you know, animal flow is starting to become really big. So where you're still exerting yourself, but it's not strenuous um, on your nervous system. And then obviously in the lead up to your bleed, so the last week of your cycle, um, this is where the wise woman taps in. So, you know, so you, you're you really sort of going in and, and nurturing and getting ready for your bleed and slowing down. And then as soon as that bleed comes, you want to back off and then you start the whole cycle again because from an anatomical perspective, your uterus is attached to your abdominal walls, right? So you don't want to be putting your physiological body into a position where you could... Um, damage your back or damage your abs because that, that natural inflammation from the womb is starting to take place due to the endometrial lining starting to shed. Um, so you could do exercises again like yoga or just really sort of soft light, uh, light weights.
1: So that like 24 mile run, probably not, not a great time to do
2: that. (laughs) No, this is like going to be so bad of me to say, but you know, when you see, when you've seen those articles of women running marathons without pads on, and it's like Mm -hmm. a stance to feminism, which is amazing. But in my mind, I'm just thinking, no, like you can't be running while you're bleeding. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so you want to avoid those things because you'll become susceptible to injury.
1: Mm, And that's, that is, I think the key thing. And I think that's like one of the things that's never talked about is like from an anatomical Mm. perspective of like what's actually happening with, you know, the abdominal wall and this potential, like the fact that you're saying that right now, is like blows my mind, but it also like resonates so hard. I'm, Mm. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Like you're just making yourself a little bit more susceptible. Even if you are super strong, you're just kind of putting yourself into that, like susceptibility stage of like potentially getting hurt and you don't want to do that. Right. Like, that's just not what we want to do. Like first rule of biohacking, don't get hurt. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah.
2: Well, it's just, um, it just plays into what we've been talking about all day about how women just have to sort of accommodate to what men do, but we have a cycle. We're very different to men. You know, we, we can't just be going hard 24 seven. And um, look, personally, I, I am quite masculine and I never really used to look at my cycle as something that changed me. Like I never, I always felt like I was on the same level and my capacity to work was always the same. But the more I'm in tune with it, like, you know, I started charting my cycle, cycle I started assessing my cervical mucus. Now that I know exactly where I'm at, I can actually, I can actually see there's differences. Small but they are there, you know. Just how I'm feeling, how I'm reacting to certain things, you know. How how my infant my you know ability to concentrate is so different when I'm ovulating versus two to three days before I'm expected to bleed. Um, so don't push against that. Like actually work within it because you'll get a much better outcome in the long term than just trying to push. As in Australia, we just say push shit uphill. <laughs>
1: Girl, I am so excited. I just need to like scream this out. I The second I started doing like deep spiritual work with myself, really becoming more intuitive about my body and really understanding and meditating, basically grounding, doing all this stuff, the more in tune I got with my body, the more I started to actually see these like emotional impacts and the changes happening during my cycle. And it used to be one of those things that my fiance would just be like, You know, you you seem like you're a little moody. And I would be like, no, I'm not. And very defensive. Right. And now I'm the one that's like, listen, I know that today I'm, I'm a little, I have brain fog. I'm, you know, 24. So like, just, you know, be, be easy with me. And like, so I'm actually starting to like pick up on, you know what? I'm actually feeling really tired. And I look and, you know, I think the whole, Tracking your cycle is really helpful because, Mm -hmm. you know, when you're data driven, you kind of want to be like, okay, where am I in this road? Right. Like, it's kind of nice to have that calendar to sort of lean on, you know, not be dependent on, but like just kind of look at. I've been finding that I, the more in tune I am with my body, the more these emotions and different like states of being are becoming heightened for me. So Mm -hmm. I think that is such a valid point because for years I never experienced that and now Mm -hmm. I am.
2: So I don't know. You probably did experience it. You just weren't aware of it. That you're
1: absolutely right. And that's, I think that's (laughs) my point. It's just like you become more self-aware and you really start to pick up on the clues that your body is giving you.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's true.
0: So I know I mentioned earlier in the um, interview here about gut health testing. So Holly, Mm -hmm. can you tell us a little bit about your understanding around the role of the gut and how it impacts our
2: hormonal wellness? Mm. Yeah, this is a good question. Um, <clears throat> so phew, where to start? There are There's a multitude of ways that it impacts us. Obviously, from a very basic standpoint, if you have any form of microbial infections or inflammation or p- parasitic infections, that's going to get in the way of our ability to absorb nutrients and amino acids and really important building blocks of our hormones so if you're not metabolizing cholesterols effectively or breaking down proteins properly um, then that's going to have a flow-on effect as to how your ovaries are functioning and you know what's happening in your brain and all of these other really important endocrine systems your thyroid my god like you know, your thyroid is so dependent on nutrients, selenium, iodine, zinc, vitamin D, and we get all of these from our food. But it's one thing to eat well, but it's another thing to actually absorb that food. And uh, unfortunately, most people don't do either. They don't eat well, and then they just don't absorb. So, you know, no wonder there's so many people are, are on the back foot. So that's the first thing that really is important about gut health and, and your hormones. And then the second thing, it's like, you actually have different cells within your gut that have hormone receptors. So, you know, your mast cells, which are important in producing histamine and regulating that first line of defense, they have progesterone and estrogen receptor sites. So if there's too much of those hormones, if there's too little of those hormones, that's gonna influence the way in which those very protective immune cells function And that has a massive flow-on effect. Um, You know, our our gut actually produces hormones itself, so things like CCK and peptide Y and ghrelin and, you know, all of these incredibly important hormones that help to regulate our hunger and our satiety. So if there's, again, any inflammation or microbial issues taking place, then that's going to negatively impact those hormones. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it, it is definitely the epicenter. There's a reason, you know, naturopaths for so many years have said everything starts in the gut, because it really is our first line of defense. And if if it's damaged, or if there's problems with absorption, then that's just going to have a systemic um, flow on to the rest of the body. And unfortunately, if that is the case, which it is for so many people, then it just becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Because you know, once you're not absorbing, that creates more inflammation. That inflammation creates scarring. That scarring stops motility. Then your motility is bad. So you're not breaking down your food properly. And it's just like this vicious, vicious cycle, which is why if you do have ongoing hormonal issues or gut issues, you do need to seek out somebody who really understands what they're doing. I, all the time, I work with women in the fertility space, and the first thing we do is stool testing um, because, you know, there are, there's a whole process called endotoxemia where microbes in the gut can get through the gut lining thanks to hyperpermeability and they've got toxins in them and those toxins called lipopolysaccharides can actually attach to your ovarian cells. They can attach to the sperm cells and this can create this like inflammatory and oxidative stress environment at the ovarian level and that can be why you're not conceiving so that's got nothing to do with hormone imbalance, as our healthcare system would like to say. That's got everything to do with that um, endotoxemia taking place. Um, and that's not going to get rectified until you actually fix the root cause, which is the, the gut, which is the microbial imbalances. So that's just like one example, right? Um, but, yeah, it's, so, it's just so important, the gut, the gut, when it comes to hormones.
0: I remember a few years ago, I was you know, thinking about going off to med school, and that would be at least six years for delayed childbearing. So I met with a local fertility expert, checked out my ovaries. Yeah, things are all good. Lab work, but you, the thing is, I mean, getting back to the previous model in Western medicine is the gut health and the stool testing wasn't even on the docket. And then all these other health fertility experts that I've chatted with, are saying the same thing as you, Holly, you got to start with the gut health and microbiome testing. And Mm. I have to say through this interview, I've been extremely impressed with you, Holly.
2: Thanks, babe. Yeah. I mean, uh, look, I don't want to get into like, we call it IVF here. I think in the States they call it ART. Um, I've got my own opinions around that whole process. I do think it's a money grab. I think there's it's a profitable industry and there's no incentive for those, those doctors or those physicians to actually just say to their clients, hey, before we go through this really extreme process of taking out your embryos or checking for your eggs, how about you guys just go away, do an anti-inflammatory nutrition guideline, have really meaningful, loving sex, <laughs> you know, get some sleep and then let's just see what happens. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a frustrating endeavour sometimes because I'm coming up against these sort of juggernauts of, of the Western health system, which, as you actually said at the beginning, it's all about personal responsibility. You have to take ownership for your health. And we are designed to breed That is our number one, I know it's very anti-feminist of me to say, but that is our number one job on this planet is to breed. We wouldn't have got here otherwise. So if you cannot breed outside of there actually being an anatomical issue like blockage of the tubes or scarring in the endometrial because no amount of herbs is going to fix that, so I'm just going to put that out there. But if it's an unknown source of infertility, that is a really good sign that something is going off at a root cause level. And no amount of like drugs or intervention is gonna fix that. And this is why so many women end up doing six, seven, eight IVF cycles, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars thrown at these clinics where- Tens of
0: thousands. (laughs) upwards of hundreds of thousands. thousands.
2: Yes, you know, and like what other industry would you be able to take $100,000 off someone without any return on investment and not get sued? That is And then probably crazy. get
0: stuck down the line.
2: That's right. And even right? in the IVF pr- process, which, you know, I do have some clients that I work with who go through that process, even if you have to go down that route, the state of your health directly impacts the success outcome of that process. So your embryos, if they are inflamed, if there's oxidative stress at extraction, that's going to impact whether or not you're successful in implantation. Same with, same with the, the male sperm. So it's, you still have to get healthy, (laughs) you know? Um, But none of that is ever, ever spoken about in the fertility section of uh, the Western health model. So I could go on about this for ages, but I'm going to stop talking now. (laughs) I, I know. I think it's, it's really, eliminating to hear
1: your perspective and knowing that you've worked with so many women knowing that your platform is to create a fertile body you know Mm -hmm. and and like in reading that it really just hits home that like yes at the end of the day we've got to protect our body our mind our spirit and our fertility organs right like Mm -hmm. even if we don't plan to have children like myself it is still so vital that I get my monthly strip cycle, that I am, you know, exercising and eating in the way that's healthy for my body because in the long run, like that's gonna lead to better longevity, better brain health, hopefully mitigation of of chronic diseases down the line. Like this is, you can only get one meat suit in your life. You gotta take care of it, you know? Yeah, and knowing right. how these things work, on such an a- important anatomical level, I think you it, you just really hit all the right points. Um, and I, I sure hope that anyone listening today, you know, at least can grab one piece of, of uh, knowledge from this, because I think what you're doing is just phenomenal. And I'm sure you're helping so many women really get their health back. And that's such an important job.
2: Oh, thanks, guys. I really appreciate you guys having me to sit on your platform and rant about all oh my <laughs> my <laughs> discretions with the system. <laughs>
1: I think so. it's important to have these conversations, whether you agree with them or not. Just having, you know, being able to get on a forum like this and be able to talk openly about it. You know, it's a freedom of speech. It's a freedom of of choice for our bodies, right? What we do with our own health. And I think we're starting to see a turn in society where people are really starting to to take ownership of their health more, um, whether it be through wearables or trackers or just who they're seeking out knowledge from, right? Like just Mm. that's, there. we're seeing a sea change and it's making me so excited where the future of health lies. So Holly, before we wrap up, where can people find you? Tell us about your programs and uh, all that good stuff.
2: Uh, You can find me at thewomenseries.com um, and I have a few online courses. They're all self-paced. Um, they're designed to basically not need me as a private coach um, to help you on your health and fertility journey. Um, so there's there's that. And you can also find me on my social media. I, I'm pretty much only on Instagram. So the women's series just at Instagram. Fantastic.
1: And do you offer one-on-one coaching with people if they
2: want to work yeah. with you? Yeah, okay. I do. Um it's, uh, it's, it's pretty busy at the moment. Um, so there's a bit of a wait list, but yeah, I definitely do. So that's all on the website. Fantastic.
1: Well, I'm happy to hear, and it, obviously that's a great sign if you have a wait list. You know, you're, it's, it's uh, right now, given these times, I'm sure yeah. there's a lot of people really taking health into their own hands, being at home, and wanting to still thrive. So um, I'm more power to you, Holly. And thank you so much for sharing all of your knowledge and wisdom with us today. And, um, and
2: yeah, thank you for your work. Really appreciate thank you guys. coming on today. My pleasure. Thank you both.
0: Thanks, Holly. It was great hearing your perspective. And I just finished reading a book, Owning Your Shadow. You'll get a kick out of this. Oh. And the the author of it actually gave us this example. He actually, it was a debate class and his instructor said, okay, here's your topic. A minute before the debate, the instructor says, now you have to defend the other side. So mm-hmm. the, the these are some closing words here. But when we start to evaluate both sides, two different ways of thinking... You will actually then and only then when you start to look at both sides, the clinical data, the information that's available, anecdotal, published, then you can actually come to the, the greater understanding. So I look forward to the health, the future of health and fertility and is an absolute pleasure having you on the show today.
2: Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it.